We are actually on part 14 of our series in um, the Gospel of John. And this is the man born blind. And my goal today is to understand this powerful story about light and blindness and apply it to ourselves. I struggled a long time to, to really um, grasp this passage. And I knew there was a deep message, but it eluded me. And I could see what the text was saying. I could understand the syntax and the, and the flow, but I couldn't, what, what was the message to me? What was the message to us as a church? And then suddenly as I was praying, it came to me very forcefully and I felt myself challenged deeply. And I think that if you get this message, you will be challenged deeply today as well. So today, what I'd like to do is to give you the big story of the passage and then the five conversations that go through and then challenge what your response is to this passage. So I'm not going to be giving us a detailed summary of where we've been in the previous 13 sermons. I'm just going to give you a big picture now. Um, John breaks into two halves. What they, the first 12, tra- 12 chapters, they call the book of signs. There are seven signs that John gives, and it's his public ministry. The rest of John is Jesus' death and resurrection, and it's not, he's not doing his public ministry anymore. So we're in the book of signs, and the book of signs begins with a prologue in chapter one, ends with an epilogue in chapter 12, and then it's kind of symmetrical, and right in the middle, there is a set of teachings, chapter 6, 7, and 8, where Jesus feeds 5,000, then talks about himself being the bread of life. He walks on water and says he's the living water. He talks about himself being the light of the world. And then this is the sign that kind of links into that. This central section of teaching is bracketed by two healing um, miracles, there's the take, take up your bread and walk healing miracle. And there is the, um, the one that we've just done today. Some of you may have noticed some similarities between this miracle that we saw here and the one where he said, take up your bread and walk. Anybody like to share any that they might noticed? That's absolutely right. There is an action required. They're told to do something that they have to respond to it. Either take your bed up and walk or go and wash. Yeah. Excellent. Anything else? Exactly, both done on the Sabbath. Uh, That's a a major similarity. His authority was questioned in both of them. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll give you a list. There's a lot of similarities. There was a pool involved in both of them. Um, Both of them, were. it was like a long time. One was 38 years, the other's lifetime had been sick. Um, Jesus takes the initiative. They don't ask him. He goes up and says, you know, take up your bed and walk. Or, you know, he just tells him. He puts the stuff on his eyes. He, Jesus takes the initiative. The man is given a command which he obeys. Um, on the Sabbath, um, Jesus then disappears. Well, the first guy is quite interesting. He never actually sees Jesus because he's blind. And then he goes away, washes his eyes, and Jesus is gone at that point. And so he doesn't know who, what Jesus looks like. He's never seen him in his life. The first guy doesn't appear to know who Jesus is when they ask him, just 
and then Jesus. Jesus, in both cases, finds the person at the end of the story. Um, the Pharisees cross-cross-question the healed man in both cases. There's a statement at the end about the Pharisees' guilt, and then Jesus finds the man again at the end and challenges him. So very, very similar stories The bracket this middle section. Um, the key difference between the stories is this man responds in a, a totally different way. The other man is like pleased that he's healed, but there's no real spiritual life that pours into him, whereas this man seems to have received the light inside as well as into his eyes. So what I'd like to do now is to, to, to you can look at your um, handout there, and I would like to look at the, the story. Make sure that's big enough to see. Yeah. So, um, when you, if you look at the story, you'll see that I put a box around the whole of the middle section. And that middle section I'm calling five conversations. And Jesus isn't involved in those. Jesus is the first three steps at the beginning, the first three paragraphs and the last three. So I'm going to start by reading the first three and see what's happening there. Now, as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who committed the sin that caused him to be born blind, this man or his parents? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but so that the works of God may be displayed in him. So at this time, there was a Jewish belief that every single thing that was wrong with you or wrong in your life was due to some particular sin. And that idea is around today as well in various circles. You know, there must be a sin that's caused this to happen. And Jesus says, no, that's not, it's not as simple as that. God's ways are higher than our ways. And sometimes we just have to trust him. A couple of days ago, I heard some very sad news, some news that made me cry. Uh, back in nine years ago, a woman who started coming to our church called Marianne Stanek. Some of you know her. She's come on and off at times when she's living in Toronto. And a couple of years ago, she was diagnosed with cancer. And I, we prayed for her as a church. And I've never met anybody who has more faith for her own healing than Marianne. And she was determined to get prayer. She was, she really wanted to, to exalt God in this and she had such faith for her healing. Or well, two days ago she died. And I'm like, God, what is happening here? How can this happen? But, you know, I just have to come to this point. God's ways are higher than my ways. God has purposes in this that I won't know till eternity. And I can just see some things on the surface. And I, and I believe that God has healed her. You know, now she has a perfect body. She has no flaws. She is rejoicing with him forever in heaven. All her sorrows have been wiped away. And the things that have happened are going to work out for good. And the people whose lives she's touched, because she touched a lot of lives in the last two years, that is going to work out to God's glory. And so I can't have this simple, view that the Jews had that, you know, there's a formula that God has to follow the formula. And I have to say, God, I have to trust that the the works of God are going to be displayed, whatever happens, and you have a plan in what's going to happen. Verse four, 
we must perform the deeds of the one who sent me as long as it is daytime. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. He's referring the darknesses to his arrest and his death. And we know that um, the, the light came back uh, at Pentecost when Jesus, Jesus sent his spirit, which brought back the light at, at that time. But there was a period of darkness. Um, but the key idea here is that it's light that Jesus brought into the world. Verse 6, having said this, he spat on the ground and made some mud with saliva. He smeared the mud on the blind man's eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Um, so this is one of the most unusual ways Jesus healed anybody. But um, I think what's going on there is there is an image of creation, just as uh, um Creation was done from nothing. This man had no eyesight. We don't even know if he had eyes. So this wasn't, in fact, really a healing. It was a new creation that was being going on here. And you know how humanity was formed from the dust of the earth? And it's this image of like the dust of the earth creating something new. And God can create something new out of dust. And so new creation has happened. And that's what happens when somebody becomes a Christian. Like new life comes into them. It's not a healing. It's something new that comes in. And this man has something that he never had before that comes into him. So I think this is what's going on with his imagery that's going on. Um, and uh, so this man then has never seen Jesus. Now, if we were to skip the part in the box and go right to the end, the story would make perfect sense. So if we go on, we skip this part. Um, verse 35, Jesus heard they'd thrown him out. Well, we'd have to skip that bit because that's part of the middle story. So he found the man and said to him, do you believe in the son of man? The man replied, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus told him, you have seen him. He is the one speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So Jesus has brought spiritual sight here. So you see physical sight pattern in the parallel section at the beginning. I've put in red there. Uh, uh, there we are. He washed and went and came back seeing. Now Jesus has given him spiritual sight. And then we have Jesus' statement about why he came into the world echoed. So Jesus said, I came into the world to bring light. And then 39, he says, for judgment, I've come into the world so that those who do not see may see and the ones who see may become blind. Huh. Now, that is the problem verse in the passage. And that's, I think, where the answer is. And we'll come to that in a minute. But this is basically um, this is basically the the completion of what was started in verse four. As long as I'm in the in um, in the world, I'm the light of the world. So. And then we have the the ending of it. The Pharisees who were with him, they asked, are we blind? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now you claim that you see your guilt remains. And this is interesting because now Jesus is reframing what the guilt is. Actually, it's not the guilt doesn't cause people to be physically blind, which was the initial suggestion of his disciples. You know, he's blind because of parents' guilt. He says, no, it's actually the guilt causes spiritual blindness. That's where you can definitely make a link up between sin and guilt and blindness. No question about that. So Jesus kind of ties together that quite neatly. 
So, um, that, that's, the, that's the middle section. And um, what... Um, so, what I want to do then is to go through the, the five conversations that we have um, that Jesus has now with those in the, in the middle section. The five conversations. Um, the neighbors and the people, the first conversation. Then they brought the man to the Pharisees. Then the Pharisees summoned the parents. The Pharisees summoned the man a second time. And then the man answers them. Those are the five conversations in the middle. So let's go through them. First of all is the neighbor and the people. So let's have a look at this uh, section here. And this is, I've highlighted in yellow the titles there. The neighbors and the people, uh, they saw him previously as, as a beggar, began saying, isn't this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some people said, this is the man. Others said, no, looks like him. The man kept on insisting, I'm the one. So they asked him, how then were your eyes opened? He replied, the man called Jesus made mud, smearing it on my eyes and told me, go to Salaam and wash. So I went and washed and recovered sight. And they said, where's the man? He said, I don't know. Of course, he'd never seen him. Um, so the, the, what I like to track now in these five groups of people, I'd like to track the trust, sorry, four groups of people. I'd like to track the trust that's going on and the response to the light. So let's just explain to you what I mean. We've got four groups. We've got the neighbors and the people. We've got the man himself. We've got the Pharisees and we've got the man's mother and father. Each of these, in these five conversations, uh, what John is interested in is how do they respond to the light? How do they respond to the light? And then the question at the end is going to be, how do you respond to the light? So this is why you have to pay attention. How did the neighbors and people tell me? How did they respond to the light? They thought he might be somebody else. Yeah, they thought he might be somebody else. Um, they're basically, they're saying, well, you know, who is he? They're not, they're not particularly engaged or interested in this. They don't say, well, here's somebody who is blind from birth. Never in the history of humanity has anybody blind from birth been healed. We need to find out about this. They don't respond like that. That would have been a response to the light. But it's, ah, okay, it was you, was it? Kind of a null response. That's the first conversation. Um, but what's the man's response in that passage? How does the man, what's the man's view of Jesus. Well, I've highlighted it in red here. He just calls him the man called Jesus. He doesn't have any anything specific he says about him. And we're going to see a trajectory of how this man gradually receives more light as he goes through. So the next conversation is with the Pharisees. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. That was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked him again how 
he gained his sight. He replied, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Then some of the Pharisees began to say, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a person who's a sinner do such signs? Thus there was a division among them. So again they asked the man who used to be blind, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He replied, he's a prophet. So if we track the Pharisees here. At this point, there's a division. Some are saying, um, well, he can't, like, this must be something good here because, like, uh, he's doing these signs. And the other saying, no, can't be anything good because he broke the Sabbath. Now, he broke their Sabbath laws, not God's Sabbath, law, Sabbath laws. Let's be clear about that. He didn't break any laws that are in the Bible. Um, but so what's interesting here is that there is a difference between them. They're not all uh, clear on this. Um, they, uh, some of them are saying, well, he's a sinner. So, uh, and this is an interesting question because the Bible never says you should judge somebody by the signs that they do, by the miracles that they do. Um, Pharaoh, when Moses came to him, Moses turned his stick into a snake. Pharaoh's servants replicated that miracle. God said, even if a prophet does miracles, but if they contradict my law, reject them. And we're told in the last days, people will come with lying signs and wonders and Christians will believe them. We're warned about that. But Jesus wasn't actually going against the law. Everything that Jesus said supported what the Bible said, what the Old Testament said. It was their own teachers that he was going against and they refused to be challenged by that. So what about the man? Can you see a progress in the man's view of Jesus there? Can you see a little more light? He now says he is a prophet. Okay, so then we have a very interesting conversation. And I think that perhaps for us, this is the most interesting conversation. This is with his mother and father. Now, the Jewish religious leaders, they're stuck here. What are we going to do with this? Um, ah, I know. Maybe there was a mistake. Let's find the mother and father. And mother and father will tell us, ah, that's not our child. Or, yeah, he could see sometimes and not other times. And we'll prove it wrong. This is a get out. This is a loophole for our problem. So they refused to believe that he'd really been blind and had gained his sight until they summoned the parents of the man who gained his sight. They asked the parents, is this your son whom you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? So his parents replied, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is an adult, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jewish religious leaders. For the Jewish leaders had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is an adult, ask him. This bit of the conversation is critically important because can you imagine your own son? If you have seen them growing up, you knew they were blind and they received sight. Like, what's a parent going to think of that? Uh, they are deeply challenged by this and they've got two choices. 
they can, they can either say, yep, he's our son. This is a miracle. Something has happened. This is incredible here. But that is going to be a big risk for them because then they are going to have to, they're going to be thrown out of the synagogue. Their life is going to change. They're going to be confronted with this horrible, horrible, um, uh, condemnation from the Pharisees, or they can say, yeah, that's interesting. It's nothing to do with us. Uh, you know, bl- talk to him. He's an adult. And that's the choice that they make. Stay in their comfort zone, acknowledge it, but don't take it seriously or um, allow the light to penetrate them. Allow the light in, which is going to make mean they cannot live their life as they were before. It's going to require a change. This is the key challenge. All of the people in this story are challenged by the light. And the real light here is that Jesus can do such a dramatic miracle. That is the light. Everybody is challenged. And a challenge is going to be very disruptive for everybody. The Pharisees, like, this is going to have to change their view of truth, like, The Sabbath is actually not what we thought it was. It's going to deeply challenge their belief in who Jesus is. It's going to be extremely disruptive. The parents is going to be very disruptive. They're going to get thrown out of the synagogue. And of course, as we'll see, for the man, it's disruptive. So we see now a change in the Pharisees. They've come to a decision about this light. To start with, they were divided. Maybe there's two ways of looking at it. But now they realize the implications of it. They're unanimous. They summoned the man who'd been blind a second time and said to him, promise before God to tell the truth. We know that this person is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. That's the line in the, in the hymn Amazing Grace, by the way. I was blind, you know, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see this is where it's from. Um, then he said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I love this answer. I, I already told you, you don't listen to him. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? He's being really kind of uh, strong and bit bit cheeky here as he speaks to them. And no wonder they get angry with him because he's being provocative. They heap insults on him saying, you are his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We don't, do not know. We know that God has spoken through Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he's from. So they make a very deliberate choice with regard to the light. They are going to shut it out. They're going to block it out. It is not going to change them one bit. And they are, in fact, going to take action against this man. So then we have the culmination in the man, in the last conversation. The man answered them. This is an amazing thing that you don't know where he came from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is devoted to God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard of anyone opening the eyes of someone born blind. If this was not one from God, he could do nothing. So this is light. This is the implications of the light. He's saying this happened. This is what the the unquestionable truth is. They replied, you were born steeped in sin and you presume to teach us. And this is like being rude about his blindness. He's saying, look, 
You were born blind, so like that was a sin. The same thinking as the disciples had to start with, that, you know, they were, they were mocking his, his birth. You presumed to teach us, and they threw him out. So we see then this progression in these groups of people moving with, um, in response to the light. So, those are our, our groups of people. Uh, the problem with light. The problem with light. When you shine a bright light into a situation, it forces a choice. Are you willing for Jesus to shine his bright light into your life? And this is my challenge for you. I'm going to suggest at the end, and you can join me if you want to, that we pray for Jesus to shine his light into our lives. And this is a risky prayer. Because you may see some things that require change. And you may see some things that require a change that's not comfortable. Even that's costly. And so it's a risk. Because if the light shines into your life, you've got two choices. You you step away from it and you avoid it. You do what the parents did and say, yeah, yeah, that's a different category. I'm not involved in that. Or you do what the scribes and Pharisees said and says, no, that's not real light. Or you do what the man did and say, I'm willing to be thrown out of the synagogue, which is a major thing because basically they're cutting off his connection with God uh, according to their belief by doing that. Um, and so this is the question. And it's summed up for Jesus saying, for judgment I have come into this world so that those who do not see may see and the ones who, the ones who, who see may become blind. So what he's saying is, um, my light is not that Jesus is coming to judge at this point, but what Jesus is doing is bringing, effectively bringing some judgment because the light brings judgment because the light when it comes in, it shines and causes this division between people, the ones who see and the ones who don't. And there are people who don't see, and the light enables them to see, but very often the people who can see the problem, they see the issue, they become blind. And if you look at the end of the chapter, this is exactly what happens with the Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees who were with him said, we are not blind to, are we? And Jesus replied, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. In other words, if you didn't have any light, there's no sin. But because you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. In other words, you've now, you've got some light. And so you've got responsibility now to deal with that light that, that you can either turn towards it or turn away from it. So let's, um, let's then think about how this speaks to us. I want to say then, the challenge is which is your response to the light? Out of those four groups of people, which of them is yours? The neighbors, life has enough stuff without more challenges. You know, I can identify with that. You know, this life is so complicated. It's got so many things. I don't need any more stuff. Thank you. Um, uh, I'm doing okay. Or the mother and father, this is too risky. Uh, I, you know, I, I can't really go there. I'd love to, but 
Uh, he's my son, I know, but yeah, I can't really go there. Let him take the risk. Uh, are you with the Pharisees? I've got a framework for life. This doesn't fit my framework. I'm sorry. Or this man, this is so important, I'm willing to lose everything by openly aligning myself with Jesus. And so I want to challenge you, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. Uh, I want to challenge you, what might happen if Jesus was to shine light into your life? God might challenge your life in some area. So, for example, he might challenge you to take risks. He might, for example, want you to be more open about being a Christian, aligning yourself with him, which would be very similar to the challenge that the parents faced and the blind man faced here. The challenge of aligning themselves with Jesus, which would be a risk. Maybe Jesus is challenging you to that. If you're not a Christian, I'm not going to challenge you right now to follow him. You may be surprised by that, but I'm not. I'm simply going to ask you that if you're willing to ask for light and the courage to respond to it. Are you willing to say, God, please give me light and give me the courage to respond to it? If you pray for more light about Jesus, he will give it to you. Ask him for more and ask for that courage to respond to it. Uh, so all of us, I want us to pray now, and you can join with me. I'm not going to ask you to pray aloud, but you can join with me. Uh, I'd like us all to stand. Well, if you're comfortable, you can stand. It's up to you. But I'd like us to stand, and um, uh, I'd like you to just think for a moment whether or not you really want to pray this prayer, because this is a prayer that could cause you all sorts of discomfort. And if you want to, then let's engage in it wholeheartedly. Jesus, we thank you that you are the light of the world. We thank you that your truth challenges every one of us. And we ask, Jesus, I ask that you would shine your light into me, into my life, into the way I live, and show me where you want me to change. I pray you would do that, and I pray you would give me the courage to respond to your light in my life. Ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.